0: Greetings! Hello, hello! Welcome back to High Story once again. My name's Matt. I am recording today in my closet. Tish is somewhere around here. I don't know where, but she'll show up eventually if I know her. I got the closet door cracked just a little bit because it gets hot in here. But uh, thank you again for coming back and listening. Gonna have some fun today. Real quick, I tried to look for a few updates regarding last week's Osaka Ripper episode, but I don't know how to find the information yet, and I wanted to find out if I could see anything about what happened to his children, but cannot find the information. I'm sorry, I don't have any any kind of new information on that, but it's been a good week so far. This week's been fun. Uh, before we get into today's show, going to kind of run down my week this week. Had a birthday on Friday. That was fun. 33 now. Big three, three, double three, two of the same letter number. That's all good. Uh, let's see what happened this week. We planned a surprise birthday party for our boss at work, and we all met at Main Event at like eleven o'clock, and we shut the place down because it closes at two, and it was a ton of fun. And one of the bus boys bowled a strike on his first ever time bowling, so that was cool. And then he, we all cheered really loud, and it was fun. I got this really cool thing from someone at work that I work with maybe not work with, just somewhere in the orbit there. I got this really cool thing called a honey straw, which is kind of like a mobile dab rig. Basically you torch the end of it and then kind of tap it on some wax and it gets you super high. Speaking of which, Roger, thanks again for those uh, really cool sodas. Those are delicious. And thank God it rained this week at just the right time, finally. It was Thursday the day before my birthday, right before my three-day weekend, and I see clouds out the window all day. Looks like they're getting closer and closer and closer and darker and darker and darker. Normally, that sounds like a good idea, and it sounds like something you want to happen, but we have a habit up here in where I live that that'll happen pretty often, and then no rain. Fucking nothing. Not a single drop. But luckily early band rain came through and pushed out the lunch rush. And then about the same thing happened later on that night for the dinner rush when it was starting to get busy. And then after everyone cleared out from the second rush of rain, I got to go home and start my weekend early. So thank you, Mother Nature. Now, all that being said, we're going to get into this week's stuff on the more tornadoes. But there I had a little bit of trouble putting together a more straightforward beginning, middle, and end narrative for today. So instead, we're going to have a lot of fun with just the notes that I took. What I did was I took who, what, where, when, why, and how, and I expanded on each of those with a bunch of different questions that I could think of in regards to more tornadoes and different search things that came up with there. And we're just going to have some fun with what I do have right here. And then I'll wrap it up at the end with some of the more inspiring and inspirational quotes from some of the survivors of Boat Storms. And I had a kind of, uh, what do you call it, one of those clear-your-head kind of pep talks that you give yourself every now and then to kind of clear your head and organize your thoughts a little more. I do that a lot for this and just in general. And I ended up writing down a lot of what I uh, talked that night and I have nothing to do with it. So I'm going to read through it like I mean it and maybe throw in some fun sound effects that I wanted to have some fun with this week. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But first, um there's a pipe right next to me with a big glob of wax on it and I'm going to hit it. You should hit yours right now. Go do it. Do it. Go hit your weed. But where's my lighter? Hold on. I forgot my lighter. Alright, you ready? Hit it. You may have noticed a little bit more of a casual tone for today. Just trying out some new stuff. (sighs) Just trying out some new stuff. Trying to be just more relaxed in the studio and have a little more fun with it. Sometimes I forget that this is supposed to be entertaining, if nothing else. Um, figuring out how to do this. While I'm doing that, I'm going to be as entertaining as I can, so trying to just be a little more relaxed. So let's get into this today. First, I have up all the who questions, I think. I tried to organize this in a way that kind of makes logical sense when you read through it. But who knows, I just ripped a whole bunch of wax. It might not make complete sense in the end, but we're going to have fun regardless. So, who pioneered storm chasing? Ever wondered that? I never did before I started researching this, but kind of John Muir, M-U-I-R, not 100% how to pronounce that, Muir, I think. He climbed a 100 foot tall tree in California in 1874, somewhere in the Sierra region, just to get a closer look at thunderstorm rolling in, which seems kind of stupid, but you know what? Probably also not a whole lot else to do back then, so maybe it was fun for him. But really, the actual pioneers of storm chasing that we know today, like what we saw in Twister and what I saw just a couple days ago. Of course I watched Twister in preparation for this. Come on, I'm not an amateur. Uh, Two guys named Roger Jensen and David Hoadley were the actual first two guys, widely considered to be the first storm chasers. They started chasing in the 1950s and 60s and eventually throughout the course of their life's work met back up after hoadley founded the now widely popular among storm chasers storm track magazine it was funny when i was reading the story the one of the details included in jensen's little bit about his life he works as a turkey processing plant worker and diabetic which I thought was just a really odd detail to add into the story of this guy's life when talking about chasing storms. (laughs) Why include that? I don't know. Um, Who else does this hobby today? Literally everybody you've ever met from Oklahoma. We all do it. We all know about how to chase storms. Everybody. That little boy around the corner from your mom, he chases storms all the time. Her best friend at work, chaser. That lady's aunt's daughter, her friend, storm chaser, everybody. No, I don't know, but a lot of people do. Tons and tons of storm chasing enthusiasts out there. Mostly just call themselves chasers. If you've ever wondered who came up with the different names of clouds, like cirrus and stratus and cumulo and all those things, uh, you can look at a guy named Luke Howard. He came up with the different classification systems and nomenclature for different types of clouds. Kind of neat. I didn't know that. He wrote in an autobiography in 1822, quote, My pretensions as a man of science are consequently but slender. And I still have no idea what that means after this entire week. I There's no context. I don't know what that means. But it's it sounds real pretty. I tried to look up and see if there was any kind of ancient examples of storm chasers, like ancient Rome or maybe early, early Mayan or American histories like that. But if they did, they didn't talk about it. And now that I say it out loud, they were probably scared of giant tornado spawning thunderstorms back then as an, I don't know, who knows what. an, an, An omen of some kind, probably. Couldn't find any of that. So what I did find was the oldest recorded Photos of tornadoes. Surprise, surprise, in Kansas. That did not surprise me at all whenever I read it. Uh, First ever recorded photo was shot by A.A. Adams in Anderson County, Kansas on April 26, 1884. If you look it up, it's a really weird picture. It's super blurry. It looks like a poorly rendered digital recreation of something a five year old made today. But technology at the time i mean it's a camera in 1884 so that it can that you can make out anything in front of what it's pointed at is still pretty impressive i think and it's in the middle of a fucking tornado so good for you guy but there is a another photo in circulation that's also touted as the earliest taken photo shot by F N Robinson on August twenty-eighth, eighteen eighty four, so just a couple months afterwards. And that one definitely did kill six people. Um that one caused some fatalities up there in where was that? One of the Dakotas. I didn't write down which Dakota it was, but I ninety-nine percent sure it was in one of the Dakotas. And the AA Adams photo, the uh the Kansas tornado on April twenty sixth, might be the first recorded death by a tornado there was a guy named david metheny who was driving his lumber wagon just about three miles north of westphalia where the tornado touched down and reported that he and his entire wagon full of lumber and the horses were carried a considerable distance through the air kind of seems pretty unlikely he would have survived that considering what it was and I think my favorite who question that I have today, and I think one that my brother is actually really going to like, is who is to blame for all the tornadoes in Oklahoma? Guys, we need to talk real quick about big milk. The giant milk companies, it's it's a conspiracy, you guys. What they're doing is they're using their weather machines to create a whole bunch of giant violent tornado systems in Oklahoma to clear out the residents so they can sweep in after everyone relocates, take all the real estate, level it, and create more land for dairy cows so that they can extend America's heartland closer into the Great Plains region. It's big milk. They're causing tornadoes, and when they're done, they're going to remove their weather controlling machines and relocate them to Texas for imminent destruction because they're going to dump them into the Gulf of Mexico, causing me to get more hurricanes. So thanks, big milk. That's just an inside joke that I have with my brother. So I hope you had fun with that. I had fun making it up just now. What equipment would you need if you wanted to be a storm chaser? You ever thought about it? Nope, me either but you would probably need some sort of HD video camera, maybe two for different angles, so you can have two shots of the same storm and have more to look at. Uh, digital camera, so you can take still photos. These, you know, can sometimes you can get a little bit better quality from a still photo than a moving image, you know, little, little details and things that slip through. Laptops to have a continuous stream of raw weather data uploaded in real time. Walkie-talkies, radios, CB, ham radios, police scanners. Need all kinds of high-tech stuff. And I guess now's a good time to ask, what exactly is a tornado? Well, tornadoes, they're what happens when mountainy cold air meets Gulf Coasty warm moist air and starts spinning rapidly. Usually the thunderstorm around it the giant supercell contained in the the larger storm the larger storm cell as the air starts spinning and spinning the warm air fuels the mesocyclone around it it eventually gathers enough energy from the storm starts to tilt upwards while still spinning and then slowly descends from the bottom of the supercell if that swirling, spinning, twisty, spinny, sucky boy thing touches the ground, that is when it is a tornado. And I kind of knew that this entire time for 33 years, but I never actually read the finer details of it. So this was a little bit of a didn't know for me too, but it's cool. They're also, those storms are about six miles up in the air. I didn't know if you knew that because I did not. And that is pretty friggin' cool. From a dorky standpoint. And what's it like in the eye of a tornado? 15 to 20 degrees colder for sure. The, the tornadoes suck out a lot of the air around it. And inside is often a lot more calm than the outside would appear. The air is a lot thinner. You can't breathe as well. I don't want to find out. And while we're at it, what are clouds too? What even are those? They look like giant gray marshmallows up in the sky sometimes. And that makes me hungry. They're actually, basically, water molecules are just constantly falling through the atmosphere at such a high altitude that they're being suspended by an updraft and a bunch of different opposing wind forces up in the upper atmosphere from the jet stream and different things where wind comes from. I don't know exactly where wind comes from yet. Didn't get into that. But clouds are kind of just a falling and rising cycle of water droplets just up there gathering more and more and more and more and sometimes they can be preceded by a few different combination of letters and sometimes those will be cirrus which is the long stringy kind of flat longer clouds in the sky because cirrus means fiber or hair the stratus clouds, which are the big layers or sheet clouds, and cumulus clouds, which is heap or pile in Latin. Those are the big giant towering thunderstorm clouds that you see in your head. If you're unfortunate enough to be involved in a tornado, how long do they usually last? Um, Luckily, just a few minutes normally, but sometimes they can last up to an hour, hour and a half, 20 minutes, 40 minutes. Would not want to be a part of any one of these storms that have lasted for up to an hour and a half. That sounds like a fucking nightmare. How would you predict one if you were trying to protect a large metropolitan area? Studying various weather patterns, storm data from tons of different sources, there's about a million different variables to take into account for that day, such as wind speed, moisture, the aggregate temperature, the size of the storm, the time of the day. Tornadoes tend to hit a little bit later in the day in a lot of areas. If you absolutely need to take shelter from one of these things, probably the best place you need to go is underground or In this podcast studio that I turned my closet into would statistically be the best place for me to survive if a tornado spawned on top of this building right now. But I think, honestly, if a tornado spawned on top of this building I was in right now, we would probably just all die. And you'd never know it, because this would never make it on the air, because it would be thrown into Lake Conroe up here somewhere and eaten by a giant catfish because they're stupid. And that's why I don't eat Lake Conroe catfish, because they eat computer chips. (laughs) Under the where section, so after uh, I wrote, where can you take shelter? I wrote, where did they come from? Where did they go? I don't know where they went. I don't know where they went, Cotton Eye Joe. Maybe space? Yes, after a tornado is complete, it returns to its home on the moon, which is why there are craters up there. I really don't know what I wrote whenever I... These are notes from, like, the totality of this week, too, so I didn't all write these within the same stream of consciousness, and I don't remember what was going through my head that day when I wrote that tornadoes leave Earth and go to space, and that's what makes craters. I don't know what that is. What is the most likely place for a tornado? I'm sure they can attest to this. Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City and the area around it, according to... Oklahoma City and the surrounding area is the most likely place on the planet for a violent tornado to occur. I believe that was Dr. Harold Brooks. Saw him say that on a documentary on YouTube. I forget which scientific organization he works for. It's not currently where I'm at in these notes, but I'll get to it later. I know it's here somewhere. But that area is the most likely place for violent tornado, and. Has that shifted over time? I wanted to know if Tornado Alley might have been somewhere else earlier in human history. And it might have been because now it seems that the center of Tornado Alley is significantly more southeast than it was whenever I was a kid. So instead of Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Nebraska from about 1950 to 1984... It now seems to affect Louisiana, Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Tennessee, Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama from 85 to now with a lot more frequency. So I guess the winds are shifting directions over time and subtle variations and things would shift naturally in a direction, I guess. So I guess that makes sense to me. What was the deadliest storm ever recorded in terms of lives lost believe it or not it's actually happened in bangladesh and the year i was born in 1989 was not expecting that it was about a mile wide traveled for about 50 miles left eighty thousand people homeless and 1300 people died that is yeesh. the biggest one that i could find in oklahoma at least according to weather.gov was april 9th 1947 Left 116 people dead, 782 injuries, was almost 2 miles wide, 1.8 miles wide, and was on the ground for 98 miles. Jesus. And then the biggest in the United States I could find was the Tri-State Tornado in 1985, which was through Missouri, Indiana, and Illinois. was on the ground for 219 miles, left 695 dead. And the winds may have been on par with what happened in May 1999 with that storm. What do you do if you come across a tornado in the wild? Uh, Duck and cover, I guess. I feel like you probably wouldn't have one sneak up on you in the wild. How do you protect yourself? Magic armor. What did I write? How did I get through this? How am I in charge of anything right now? So uh, what do the different classifications actually mean? I don't remember the context of what I was talking about here, but I think I was talking about the EF Fujita scale. And if I was, they are measured by wind speed, by the approximate wind speed and how much damage they cause. And what is it like to live through one? We're going to get to that in just a few more minutes. I'm not sure how long, but I have those later on. At the very end. So we'll get to that. Are there any other types of storms that are similar? Yes. The uh, light misty drizzle is the only other most comparable storm. Just the sheer magnitude of what I've seen. Some of these fog banks rolling in. The destruction they cause on the plains is just unimaginable. I... <laughs> I don't fucking know. Why does Oklahoma get so many? Um, It just unfortunately happens to be the place with the most favorable conditions for these storms to develop. And um, I also wrote down that because God is angry. Because a lot of the articles you read online, if you look up Oklahoma tornadoes, some of the witness testimony on some of those definitely makes it seem like that's one of the reasons why Oklahoma gets so many fucking tornadoes. Why does anybody want to go chase down one of these things anyway? That's something I'm going to talk about in a little while. That's the flowery deep thinker response thing I have later on that I'm going to have a lot of fun with. When is tornado season? March through April. I have a couple of distinct memories growing up of some close calls that I had that I'm going to get to later on and when should you take shelter immediately right now there's a tornado right outside your door he's knocking you hear that that's him that's a tornado go get underground now what are you doing hit that weed first when is the next one don't know it's already too late all right and now that we're through all of that fun stuff that was fun I don't know what a lot of that was, but I hope it was at least entertaining. That's what I'm trying to do is, if nothing else, make you smile and question my sanity if I should be behind this microphone or not. At least you you should have fun figuring this out with me. So, that's there you go. Now, we're on to the more tornado bit. A lot of what is out there really seems to just focus on the destruction and the weather stats and how much damage it caused and how long it was and how many people died and how many people were injured and all just these really depressing dry things to read through and a lot of the videos on youtube that you can find on tornadoes are the same way it's just the the most destructive dangerous parts of it are the parts that are the most interesting obviously because that's the big piece so that's all you're really going to find and it got Kind of deflating after a little while. So instead, we are going to talk about some of the stats because they are relevant and they matter. And I want those to provide context for some of the more uplifting and inspiring survivor stories that I was able to find on it. So in May 1999, there was a storm cell that ended up spawning 74 tornadoes across Oklahoma and Kansas in less than 21 hours. That's from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the NOAA. I think I only included that abbreviation because I did not know what those letters stood for before now. Now you do too. The one that passed through Oklahoma City and more ended up having a final rating of an F5, left a trail of about 38 miles, and was on the ground for an hour and a half. An hour and a half. That is so long. My god. I've been in this closet right now recording for 32 minutes and it seems like I've been in here for four fucking days because I've... I don't know why time affects me so weird in here. It feels like I've been in here for so long but I feel like I've done nothing at the same time too. This is so strange. Imagine that but also having a giant F5 tornado towering above you with 315 mile an hour winds throwing fence posts and rocks and trees and branches and cars and mailboxes and power lines and trucks and windshields and cat laser pointers and dolls and weed pipes and wait no not that i need that hold on for an hour and a half through Chickasha oklahoma city bridge creek newcastle moore midwest city dell city 36 people total dead, 583 injured, over 8,000 homes destroyed, and almost $1.5 billion in damages when you account for inflation. Those wind speeds, by the way, are the strongest winds ever recorded from a storm on the earth. And then imagine that, almost exactly the exact same thing again 14 years later. This one only killed, the 2013 storm only killed 24 people. However, nine of them were children. Winds only got up to about 190 miles an hour on this one, and it was only about a mile wide. And this one only went for 17 miles. But still, for the same place to have two of the most unlikely storms to develop in that same area within such a short amount of time is, that sucks. That really sucks. And I don't know how else to put that. It's when you look at it, like I'm looking at it right now, it looks dry and flat and like it doesn't translate. But when you think about it in context, if you've ever lived through a storm, if you were in the area, if you know what it's like to actually live through a storm and to still get up the next day and keep going and get on with life and no matter what happens, even if a storm comes through and destroys your entire neighborhood twice within your same lifetime, there's something to that, I have to say. That's that's impressive. And so let's leave off with a little bit of inspiration today with some of the more uplifting and positive quotes that I found from people who lived through some of these storms. By the way, real quick, I I have sources for all of this stuff. I Everywhere I go that I find information that I think's relevant, I save in a separate Word document that I keep off to the side that I have them. I just don't know what to do with them or if I need to put them somewhere else. I I don't know yet, but I'm figuring that out too. So just if anyone knows something about that, let me know because I'm trying to figure that out. But I have them, don't worry. Another story I read was that of Edith Morales, a 7-Eleven worker who ended up with injuries from the storm, with a crushed spine, and every bone in her face was broken. Ended up being paralyzed by the storm. Which, essentially, when they looked at weather data after theirs, was essentially right on top of the store. And she's still fighting to this day, but still going. Still going strong every day. And um, there was another story I read of uh, Bridget, Simon, and Kayla Holt. She was a Plaza Towers Elementary School student who Ended up being kept home that day, thankfully. Unfortunately, lost five friends that day. And one of them was, they're just recovering from a, a little nine-year-old fallout. You know, sometimes little nine-year-olds do. You know how they go. <laughs> and then this guy, the guy that I read about, uh, Larry Jernigan. He, uh, that day, he tried to go to Norman for work. Looked at the clouds that morning, decided, no. I think I'm going to ride this one out. And I'm going to go try to get a little bit of extra work done today. And instead ended up with his forearm being torn open and full and just torn full of rocks and sticks and mud and debris from the tornado. And (laughs) (laughs) if that sounds a little insensitive, that's because later on when I read that he and his friend Debbie, whenever she was talking to him about why he went to work that day, Because you heard on the radio this morning that the storm was coming and he replied to her, I'm hard of hearing, which just made me laugh because everybody knows that duo of people that they've known each other for so long that everything they say is just another jab at the other one. But it's just it sounds like it's super mean, but they all that's like how they express love. Everybody knows that those people. And then, oh yeah, one lady even said the storm was horrible. That's what her quote was. And her only mention was that it was one lady. One lady even said it was horrible. Why include that in your article? (laughs) Uh, There was one three-year-old, whenever they asked him what happened to his daycare, said, uh, broke, which I thought was adorable. If you ask a three-year-old what happened to their daycare after a tornado and they say, broke. And if that didn't make you at least smile a little bit on the inside, you're lying, and that's... Okay, that's... Come on, that's precious. The storm did end up hitting a farm that had about 80 horses, but at least one of them survived, according to one woman who's seen it. Oh yeah, and then this kid, uh, Kyle The Wall Davis. He was an 8-year-old soccer kid, and he was a badass. He had a nickname at 8 years old, that was, thought that was cool to read about. Just a badass big stocky kid who likes playing soccer and they call him the wall that's a nickname you gotta earn only by being a big guy which kind of makes me think of one of the guys i work with at work he's just a big goofy athletic dude he's always smiling he's super helpful he's really hard to get under his skin kind of makes me think of that guy and then um of course we have to talk about Aaliyah crago the mud baby as she's known as she was actually 11 months old, whenever Deputy Robert Jolly was on duty, looking for, looking for any way to help, and out of the corner of his eye, he saw some kind of movement under some piles of wreckage over off the corner, and went to go pick up what he thought was a baby doll, and it turned out to be an 11-month-old baby girl who was still alive, and who today wants to be a storm chaser and is fascinated by tornadoes, which, that's just fucking cool. To be thrown a hundred yards through the air as a baby, 11 month old baby, just a little tiny baby, and then survive and then wake up and then look at a tornado and still say, no, not keeping me down. In fact, I'm going to go chase you down because that's what I'm going to do now. Because that's, that's badass. Cat, what are you doing? There she is, guys. There's Tish. Hi. Finally, half an hour later, the co-host shows up. You are so late. Get away from my toes. And then the last little fun piece that I found was a dog reunion story. Barbara Garcia got to recover her precious dog, Toto, from the wreckage. Are you serious? That was the dog's name. I couldn't help but laugh at that. The dog's name was Toto. Got him back after a big tornado. Barbara Garcia quoted as saying, both her prayers had been answered that day. And then just a couple more random relevant things I found. Uh, The government banned the use of the word tornado in 1883 because they feared it would cause widespread panic. And an anemometer, which is a device used to measure wind speed, cannot withstand the winds of a violent tornado. And that's going to do it for the more Oklahoma stories today. But just a couple more relevant tornado stories that I have from my dad and then one from myself and then we'll get on to the flowery thing that I wrote that I'm going to have fun with reading because I wrote it and I have nothing else to do with it. So real quick, my dad's story and a little bit of background right here. So we grew up in a town called Skytook, Oklahoma. It's just a little bit north of Tulsa. If you live there now, where the tractor supply is, that used to be a Super H grocery store, and right next to it was a little tiny Walmart. And it was maybe it's been so long since I've been in there, I can't remember how small it was, but it was very, very small, very small. On June 8th, 1974, there was a tornado that hit Skytook right where that building is now, where the Super H tiny Walmart slash tractor supply company now is. So that day My dad is quoted as saying, Oh, it was horrible. Which, (laughs) if you know my dad, you know exactly how he said that. Right across the street from there, right now is a Ron's Cheeseburger. Back then was a Dairy Queen. So his brother, my Uncle Randy, my late Uncle Randy, at the time, he and his ex-wife had had to hide in the freezer inside the Dairy Queen as the storm was passing over. And it's a good thing because when they went out, the storm had exploded every single window in the building. (sighs) Good thing they hid in the freezer. And then one of my stories that I can remember right now is it was either March or June of 2000. I I don't remember which day, but for whatever reason, I remember waking up that morning and thinking, I kind of wanted the tornado today. I think that'd be cool because I kind of liked the weather surrounding it. I liked the the wind and the lightning and the rain and the, you know, the fun, the cool air and everything that you can imagine when you think of a thunderstorm. I liked all that stuff when I was a kid too. So as the day got on and I got out of school and I remember walking through the field going back home, Roger, you remember that too. You probably don't remember this the same as I do, but You remember the field part, anyway. And I can see the clouds coming closer and closer and getting darker and darker. And as the day goes on, my excitement starts to kind of dwindle a little bit as, you know, as they get closer and darker. It starts to settle in on me that, oh shit, there might actually be something to worry about here. And then darkness comes, and the rain starts, and it gets loud and it gets really loud and it gets windy and i get real scared tornado sirens come on and i bolt from the top bunk bed and i jump on the bed beneath me and i think i landed on roger i don't remember but i was out of the bedroom and around the corner and down into the den living room that we called it the den in probably point six three seconds immediately looking at the TV weather radar because that was going to protect me at the time. And then nothing happened, really. Except for the next morning when we woke up there was a bunch of shingles in the yard in the backyard and I had to go pick them all up because mother nature decided. Nah, here looks like a good place to stop by. So thanks, Mother Nature, for giving me yard work to do that day for my only actual tornado story. And lastly, I leave you with a little bit of philosophical flowery writing that I had a few nights ago whenever I was thinking about this episode and thinking about life in general. So I don't have anywhere else to put this, so I want to use it with something, so... Might as well, so I'm going to try to read this with some conviction and have some fun with it. I asked myself at the beginning of this research, why would anybody want to be a storm chaser? And I think I've come up with an answer. Maybe not the correct one, but it makes sense to me. I think, in essence, we're all storm chasers already. We have this drive as humans, this desire to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. This vague but primal calling that draws us either towards or away from a thing. This echo in our minds, regardless of the final destination, guides us. And through no fault of nature or the path itself, there's always an inevitable storm just beyond the horizon. And you chase down whatever's on the other side of that storm, whether you want to or not. But it's not a matter of whether you want to. You have to. You're compelled to. You're the only one who could drive through that storm and come out safely on the other side. And it's dangerous, don't get me wrong. There's times where it's going to seem it's gonna feel really sketchy. It's going to seem impossible. Can't see in front of you from the rain on the windshield. There's fingers of lightning all in the sky all around me. There's rain sideways on each side of me. There's thunder above me. There's what I hope is still solid ground below me. But eventually, slowly but surely make little bits of progress, and eventually you get through the storm and you come out on the other side. And you look in the rear view. Now you know you can do it. You look at that storm back there, and you take that with you. That sense of accomplishment. You take that with you for safekeeping. The power that storm had over you now at your disposal. In one way or another, someone's always chasing a storm, whether literally or figuratively. But we all do this, whether maybe it's a metaphorical storm chasing. Maybe it's in the form of a new job, or a potential love interest, or a new relationship, or maybe it's an emotional storm, or who knows what kind of storm, it can have lots of different definitions. Working through confusing and upsetting feelings or emotions is a huge part of self-improvement. Many times during my journey, I'd find myself just sitting in my room in complete silence. Just, why did I feel that way, or what caused it, or is it my fault, or am I wrong? or how are my actions perceived by others you know we don't know exactly how dangerous that storm is ahead of us but we know through our experiences and with a little finesse and luck that we're going to come out on the other side so why would anybody want to be a storm chaser it's not because we want to but because we have to it's a because nobody else can we're curious Struggling to find personal satisfaction and mediocrity will always be the worst choice for those of us who want to do better and be better. So instead of running away, we face the storm head on and we keep going. Toward what? We don't always know. We just know that there's a lot to see on the way there and just keep going. All right, that's all I got for this week. Um, I hope that was fun. I hope I was able to keep some sort of semblance of order to the chaos of the notes in front of me. I hope you learned a lot. I hope it came off fun. I hope it seemed a little more relaxed this time. I definitely had fun as much as I could recording this one. That's all I got this week, so next week I think I'm going to go back into a true crime kind of episode. I'm not entirely sure what yet, but until then, stay kind.